It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Full work limited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Such teeth death, and it shows them pearly white. Just a jackknife has old Maggie Heath, babe, and it keeps it uh, out of sight. You know, when that shark bites with his teeth, babe. So, welcome everybody Scarlet to another. Episode of Macklin's Take with myself, Andy Clark, and Matt Macklin. Thanks for tuning in. Over the last few weeks, we've been doing our best to keep you entertained by bringing you some extra lockdown episodes, which seem to have gone down well, which is always good to see. Uh, and today, our guest is someone who, true to form, we've taken far too long to get on. It's generally been the case that the people who are the most obvious uh, are the ones that we've been the most slack in in, in contacting. Uh, and this is somebody who has known Matt for a really long time. These two go way, way back to, to young England boxing teams. It's a Sky colleague of ours as well, Paul Smith. Paul, how are you doing? I'm good, thanks, boys. Thanks for having me. No problem, no problem at all. Uh, Macklin, how are things? Yeah, we're all good, Andy. And actually, just to correct you, we actually go way back even longer than the young England days. We uh, boxed together and we met each other on a squad uh, just before we went out to South Africa in 1998, boxing for the England schoolboy team uh, against South Africa over in, um, which probably was two weeks or Johannesburg, Durban, and Eastern Cape. It was a great trip, and uh, me and Paul clicked and became great mates. And you know that's that's I mean, we go way way back. Yeah, it's been a long time. Makes you feel old, doesn't it? I know. Yeah. <laughs> well, given that that's the case, if um... If there are any stories about Macklin that you'd like to share, Paul, then don't be shy because what, 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 well, what, what one of the problems we've think, had on I this podcast. Different kind of show, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> one of the problems I've had on this podcast is getting people to to spill the beans on Macklin. I don't know what kind of hold he has over them, but um, one day, one day, it will be the right time of day in the right circumstances, uh, and if I'm be- going down, I'm bringing everyone. With me. <laughs> But there's so many. We, the only danger with this is that we could be we could be here till tomorrow morning talking to you. I think so. Just yeah, to try, 
just to try and battle together definitely <laughs> just to try and give this some semblance of structure um because we do we do like to at least pretend to do that what i thought we'd get into is a good old chat about liverpool boxing uh, what boxing means to the city how, how boxing kind of works in the city um and how the story of liverpool boxing how it kind of intertwines with the with your career span because it obviously it does closely because you're from there but but it's not just that it's your career took in what was an interesting cycle uh, in boxing within within Liverpool so to start with just just kind of take us on a little tour if you like of the because the bedrock of boxing in any city is always the clubs it's the amateur clubs that's where everything starts and people will be aware of the big ones the rotunda where you you grow up the Salisbury uh, red triangle uh, th- there are more than that but just just tell us about the rotunda first because that's where that's where you you learn to box that's where your brothers learned to box tony bell you fighters like that what was it about the rotunda uh, and why the rotunda it, it, it's a, it is obviously a, a long story you'll probably only understand it if you've been part of say a, a club but like me lads boxing in i want to go down and, and it was always steeped in history and 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 my dad boxed there, or, or, or my mate had boxed there, you know. It was, it's, it's like, it, it's a tough one. It was, it was the coaching, it was very correct and technically correct. And, you know, I've, I've obviously, since retired, and me, me brothers and, and myself, I, I was doing it while I was fighting on the sky. And, you know, we're outside the big I think I've got a pretty good eye, you know, as as math, I can spot things, I can see things. And I think that is all down to being schooled right and schooled the right way. So in the rotunda, after the kids get a bit get a bit fed up that they can't fight and they can't get in the ring and spar straight away and they wait for ages and ages until they're allowed to spar. But when when this when they're in sparring, they're more than ready. And I think that's what the gym's like. They, they like preparing kids and looking after kids and, and making sure they're okay. And then when they let them off the leash, they let them off the leash. And the time the time that I started to box, I remember just coming home and telling my dad one day I had a, a training session. I think I had a pair of jeans on and like a, a shirt or something. You know, where I just I just went down, just trained. I just loved Rocky going up and. Loved all the fights. I loved Mike Tyson, and then I think since since like the age of four or five, you know, I've got photos of me also me and Steve with gloves on when we're young, and I always wanted to just be a fighter and be a boxer. And when I went round, he said, "Okay, lad, well, that's good, you know. But if you're going to do it, you know, make sure you go all the time." And everything. that was it. Just just bitten by the bug, as, as Matt will tell you, and, and Matt will know. Obviously, once it gets you, it's hard to hard to get away from. And, 37 years of age now, I'm still struggling to, st- to stay away and keep away from it, but it, it is a bug and it, it does get you. And the Rotunda Club, when I went in, we used to have like Forum brothers, Stephen Forum, uh, let me tell you, remember, Stephen, Stephen, John, Neil, Mark, uh, sorry, Tony and Liam, and five of them, and, and they were all, all good fighters. I think four or five of them won national titles as well. And like that was like the family in, in in the city at the time. We had like Joey Frost. He was brilliant. One of the best left hookers I've ever seen. You know, on tape. My dad used to tell me stories of Frost being Arbo. Jimmy Arbo used to tell me stories. He, he was our coach, Jimmy Arbatina. And obviously, he deserves a a, a a section of his own, which I'll come to. But he used to talk about Frosty saying about his left hook. He could hit, he could hit like twice his own body weight with a left hook. He was only a, a light welter or a welterweight at the time, I think. A light middleweight even, and. and He'd knock fellas out. He could have knocked heavyweights out with his with his left hook, and he was always sort of legendary in the gym. And if you know if you know by watching the likes of uh, as the fighters you've said, maybe brothers Bellew, Selkirk, and all, we're all good left hookers. And it's it's like a like a gym trait. You know, you've got to have a decent left hook to be a the fighter. But 
I always just wanted to go. Um, the history was great, being around it was great. But at the time when I went, we were on a bit of a drought. The, the club hadn't had the national champion in, I think it was about seven years, six years. And um, Mick Jones was the main senior in the gym at the time. The, uh, the Lightning Away, who, who won the British title and, and lost it to Jamie Moore. Good fighter, very classy, talented boxer. Um, I remember boxing on the same show as him when he beat Junior Witter in the Olive Park Ballroom. I remember watching him box against Gary Ryder, another Scouse fighter in Ed Park Sports Centre. One of the best boxing displays I've ever seen. Just a masterclass in full matador and boxing on the back foot. And He was like the one we all looked up to at the time to, to try and emulate him and, and win titles like him. And he ends up leaving to go to the Gemini, if I'm not mistaken, in the year that they had three in the final, which I think was Lidl, um, Mick Jones and Carl Wall, I think, who obviously... Lost a, a contentious one against Mahia, um, and the, the gym had, had a lot of good good clubs, as I mentioned. The Gemini, the Salisbury, um, Mosley Vale, good gym. Um, Evan Redfangle, you mentioned at the at, at the start, you know, that's a massive that's a massive club in the city because of the history it's had over the years. And Kirby Boxing Club up, up, up there in Kirby, a, a brilliant because of the history that they've got. You know, John John Conti, Paul Hawkinson, and the likes, and had some very very good fighters over the years who. who if my memory goes, I'll forget them. But there's, there's so many of them, and Liverpool as a city, as such, is just a big fighting city, and and you get behind the fighters and and the footballers, obviously, as uh, as uh, anyone can see, and just a big sport and city, a good working class city, a lot of Irish roots, a lot of a lot of Celtic roots. You know, it used to be a, obviously a port years ago, and I think that's probably when it all originated from all, all the dockers and all the port, all the people coming to the port, and you know, fights outside the booths and that. But the boxing's always been massive in Liverpool, and and I think you go up in Liverpool wanting to be a footballer or a, or a boxer. Well, certainly I was when I was a kid and I was terrible at football, so I went in the boxing gym. I think the the, the key for, I said it at the start, that the bedrock, uh, bedrock even of any big fighting city is the amateur clubs and, and you just outlined just how strong and how competitive they are there because I look at a city like Belfast and there are so many good gyms there all in rivalry with each other and and if you could produce those good amateurs and that sense of rivalry then then everybody just feeds off it, don't they? Because cause I, I remember, uh, and you'll remember it better than me, but when Callum, uh, your brother, fought Anthony Fowler in the amateurs, I know it happened more than once, but I think the first time was at a regional ABAs and they packed out the, the, the old Liverpool stadium. It was, it was like a throwback to 20, 30 years previously when amateur boxing was really, really big. And I just found it very interesting that, that, that it could still generate that kind of interest because that's, you know, that's, that's kind of not normal now, really. Yeah, I, I remember when I was a kid, and, and, and like girls who I went to school with, who were like friends of mine and my wife's and everything else. Now, you know, they'd be a message. I put a picture up the other week when I went to school, boys. And like, I remember it, you know, I was there, and like, they were my friends in school at the time. And when we used to fight, I remember fighting the national final down in Birmingham, and, and I think Matt was at the same final, the, the, the age above me. And we, 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 had, we had a 52 seater coach going down about three or four minibuses. It was just a schoolboy final, you know. and it's like that. I was at the first fight with uh, Callum and Fowler. Uh, uh, you know, I'm not I'm not bad mad on Fowler. I, I like the kid. You know, he's a good fighter. And, but Callum got Rob Lyons in that first fight. I remember just thinking, "Wow, you've just done it." So the point I'm getting to is the clubs obviously being successful and a lot of, a lot of rivalry. Uh, as as again, you know, people will know listening. A lot of the officials are affiliated with a club as well. Uh, it, it causes a lot of politics sometimes and. We used to have an old saying in the gym, you know, the minute you're in that rotunda vest, you're probably around out. If you're outside the city, you might be around up. It's just, it's just one of them things. And I've had a recent with my son. You know, he was, he was on the wrong end of, of a very cold swamp 
and it was on our show, and I thought he should get it because it's our show because he had a close one where he just just lost it, and there was no no question to ask, but it was on the lad's show, and I said to him, you know, your name with your brothers, yeah, your uncle, sorry, and your dad, and the club you're in, it might go against you in this city, but when you're outside the city, you might get the rub of the green. And I don't care who's, who's listening, thinking it's wrong. It, it, that's how boxing is. You need the rub of the green. You need a bit of luck. And if you work hard, then you will you will reap the rewards. But with the rivalry in the city, you know, we used to laugh like the Kirkdale. I'm from Kirkdale, but all from Kirkdale. But the Thunder is in Kirkdale as well. And the Kirkdale is a club. It's a very good club. Yeah, the likes of Joe Ainsco, you know, or boxed there years ago. And, some very good fighters over the years, and like more our age, the likes of Spigarkin and the likes, you know, and, and they, they won a fair few titles. But we used to have a laughing joke under the thunder. If you if you messed around or if you if you weren't any good, you got sent to Kirkdale, and they'll probably said the same thing. You know, if you mess around with me, you get sent to the thunder. So it's all like it's quite friendly rivalry. A couple are quite serious because everyone wants to see who's probably the best gym or the most successful gym in the city. I'll always argue it's the thunder. Many will argue it's the Salisbury, but. You know, I think the results will speak for themselves in, in the end. And it's just it's great to have that that rivalry, whether it be healthy, whether it be, you know, competitive, because it's keeping kids off the streets, it's getting kids into, in my opinion, the best sport in the world, a great sport that's great for any young lad or girl now. And it it's it can only be good if there's more boxing gyms because they are the life soul and soul of Hey, hey kids. Hey everybody, sitting here with a famous Slovenian philosopher. How are you doing, sir? I am uh, in health, thank you. Are you uh, excited about something? I am excited about this latest uh, CIA-funded venture. A CIA venture? Yes, it's called the Desire and Capital Podcast. Oh, what is it about? I refuse your fascist question. Well, there you have it. Listen to the Desiring Capital Podcast, coming soon to a bourgeois platform near you. On your marks, get set, go! So, Matt, what was the reputation of, of, of Liverpool clubs um, uh, as an outsider? Because Small Heath, I know when when you boxed there and in the years before you boxed there as well, they, they gather quite a reputation for themselves. But, but was it the case that if you went to a, if you went to a tournament, if you went to a championship, that, that a Liverpool fighter from a big Liverpool club was, was best avoided? So Small A's had a good reputation within Birmingham, but Birmingham was a, a mad place really. You know, we had we produced some good individuals over the years, you know, before me, Rob McCracken, and then, then probably myself, obviously Frankie Gavin, not long after me, but we never had strength in depth in the same way as London or Liverpool. And obviously, London's a big, big city, huge population, but Liverpool's a tiny, you know, much smaller city than Birmingham. But the strength in depth, the amount of champions they'd produce year in, year out, would have blew Birmingham completely out of the water. So, you know, and it, when you go there, you, you realize how many clubs there are and how many people box. And, and like you say, it's not that big of a city. And even you jump into a taxi and you get chatting. People in the street kind of know a little bit about boxing. It's like it's almost like anyone that's you know from a working class area has been down the gym. Do you know what I mean? Where mm. I think Birmingham, that it wouldn't have been the same way. But I, uh, me and Paul, obviously met uh, on, on that England squad. Became very good friends. I actually got back to South Africa and I went up to Liverpool for a week after. I stayed with a kid called Ricky Eccleston for a bit, and, and obviously uh, met with Paul and that as well. And um, you know, we, our, our careers ran parallel for a long time, but in the amateur days, I remember 
you know, after the, I think it was intermediate school boy, I, I couldn't get a fight in Birmingham. I'd never, I'd always get a walkover or something to the Midland, Midlands final. And I remember um, one of a good mate of mine, and Paul knows him, Stephen McKayley, used to be involved in the gym and that. And he used to say, Matthew, you're, you're, be- you're better, well, you're more well known in Liverpool than you are in Birmingham. <laughs> <laughs> and that was through me, me friendship with Paul. And, you know, I knew all the lads that were asunder, Joey Vaughan, um, all, all Paul's mates, basically. And, and obviously Derry and the other lads then that I would have came friends with along the way, Mark Moran, Ricky Eccleston, who I mentioned as well. You know, got to know a lot of these lads and would have gone up to Liverpool. I remember, I think it was back in 2000, me and Paul were both boxing for Young England in Hungary and the tournament was in August. So, of course, that's very much the off-season in the amateurs and there was no sparring around. So, I went up for the week. We went down to Crystal Palace and we did like a, a week camp and then we came back and did a week in Birmingham. And then I went up to uh, Liverpool for the week and I stayed with Paul in his house. So we, you know, we were sparring every day in the Rotunda. And I remember Jimmy Albertino, who Paul mentioned there, and, he, and he's just one of the best coaches there's ever been in English amateur boxing. And that's just a fact. And he, I remember him saying, you know, that we have, there was a few guys like Alex Moon who were like lower level pros and whatever around the time. He said, you know, you, you would pay money to watch that spar. Me and Paul basically put in the middle of the ring like you fuck out of each other. But, you know, it was... It was um, so Liverpool was always somewhere that I, I had massive memories with and had a real strong affiliation, you know, obviously through Paul and his brothers and his, his whole family. But the, the Rotunda gym, um, I think, went through a big, big renaissance led by Paul. Like I say, he hadn't had many champions before him in a while. And then when he, he started winning everything and then, you know, Tony Bowie, Stephen Smith all come along all of a sudden they just had this massive wave of success. And even across the city in, in, in the Sully, they, they had a lot come around that time as well. But I think in terms of the professional game, I think Paul very much led the way. There was Paul Burke and Steve Burke. They were good, they were good amateurs, but they never really crossed over and had success as professionals. But Paul was the one. He had that style. You, you know, he banged hard, a great body puncher, big left hooker. You knew he was going to have a good pro career. And, you know, when he went forward, then he signed with Frank and he was, you know, an exciting fight, scored some big knockouts. And then it's just that, that chain, that, um, that conveyor belt of successful amateurs, you know, started translating, started turning over then and having success in the professional game. Well, we'll get to the professional uh, career, Paul's professional career in just a bit, because as I said, it, it, the, the, the cycle of it coincides exactly with, as, as you just mentioned there, Matt, a, a kind of renaissance of Liverpool, of Liverpool pro boxing. But, we were talking about it, the three of us, just before we just before we hit record. Um, and you mentioned it there, Matt. Just tell us about the two of you. Just tell us about Young England, what it was like boxing for Young England. Who else was on that team? And, and I know that trip to South Africa was. I've spoken to both of you about this individually, and that was that was a big one in your in your lives, really, because you're going to a part of the world that has been suffering under um, an extremely oppressive regime haven't that long come out of it and um, uh, I think you would both agree it was it was an eye-opener yeah I mean it was a brilliant it was just a brilliant trip you know there was I was actually the team captain and that there was 15 of us um, over there for two weeks you know you're 16 years old scoreboard boxing you know don't get me wrong it means the world to you but it's not you know we, we had a laugh we had a great time we really did and I mean there's another guy on that group called Jimmy Fletcher who I'm still <laughs> good friends with today and he's a real character and a cousin of his Terry Fletcher 
box for Young England with me and Paul. And, um, you know, both of those Kateriens, did they? But, you know, I have to say, they're still friends today. I mean, Young England days were probably, probably the best days of my boxing life, for money. So I probably enjoyed my boxing more when I was boxing for Young England than at any other point in my whole career. It was just such a fun time with lads your own age, boxing in tournaments, you know, multi-nation tournaments, boxing three or four times in a few days. And, you know, you're all there with each other. It's a lonely sport, boxing. It's an individual sport. But I think when you're boxing together on an international team, that's as, um, that's as good as it gets with the camaraderie. I mean, maybe it was a bit different for some of the lads that would have had, you know, teammates in their gym. But for me, I was very much kind of, the only guy that really progressed forward in the championships from, from my club. So, in, for me, when I used to box abroad and that for England, that they were, they were just amazing days. So, Paul, what are your, what are your memories of it? I heard, a, I heard a little chuckle there where Mackley mentioned a, a particular <laughs> Yeah, when he name. mentioned Jimmy Fletcher, yeah. He was, um, he, he was certainly a character, like, in, in Manchester. He's great people, good fighters as well. From, from Again, seen as I would talk about amateur gyms, it's a good club from the Carmand up in Bradford, Carmand ABC, which, which I remember at the time when, when I first got, like, past, like, in Liverpool at the time, you know, apart from, like, the senior ABAs, I, I'd never been to any championship bout outside of the Merseyside and Cheshire finals or the Northwest Counties final which was always at Everton Park and I remember they always wanted to box at Everton Park when they turn all the lights off and just have that one light above the ring and obviously there's been some great fights over the years one of the best amateur fights I've ever seen was Chris Ains go against Alex Moon in, in that place I watched obviously Mick Jones against um, Gary Ryder who I mentioned before and I watched like Mick Whitty against Joe Ainscoe, seen, seen like pro shows in there with Shane Airy and Andy Oligan. And all, all I sort of wanted to, to do I, I, as, a, as a kid was just, just be a, you know, be, be a national champion. I wanted to win the schoolboys. That's all, all I wanted to do. Schoolboy championship or juniors and whatever comes from that, great. But it, it, when you're going through them championships, it's like, as Matt just said, like the camaraderie, you're going down on the bus together or you're going down the night before to stay over if it was in London or. Barnsley met his home or down to Aston Villa and you go down in the morning of the fight and it's just like all getting together, all meeting up, all getting on the bus, all going together and supporting each other, supporting your teammates, you know, weighing in, making you weight and everything else. And it's just something that 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 I sort of my lad come in and said, I want to box that, I want to be a boxer and I'm like, Oh no, no, that's just that's oh, fuck I'm not going to all that again. But then I thought, you know what, <laughs> it, it, if he can get it, you know, ten percent of what we got and again, it's that Speaking to someone else, it sounded big headed, but Matt just explained it. Then, you know, I, I travelled the world free of charge. By the time I was 19, I'd been everywhere and I'd boxed everywhere and I'd represented my country and I met mates that I got for life competing in, in, in a sport that I was good at, a sport that made me a better man and a better person, and a be- hopefully a better father, better brother, better husband, better, you know, better son. And it gives you that manners, discipline, respect, you know, self respect, everything that you get from boxing. And I remember just thinking, I, I, I'd be. I'd be doing him a disservice, stopping him doing it because, you know, genetically he's going to have something. His dad and his three uncles are, are all British champions, all professional boxers, and you know, not uh, as far as I remember, no one in my family was ever a pro boxer. So you know, uh, he's got a bit of a head start, and it'll help him, and you'll be in that club environment. I remember saying to him, like, you've probably just made twenty mates there that that will be be more of a friend and more of a mate here and back you up more than any of your own mates that you've got in school or anything because. It is that atmosphere, Jim. It's very much as Matt just said, an individual sport, but you're not without a team around you, whether that be your friends, your family, your teammates, your, your, 
you know, your, your lads better in the gym with you, and he's benefited, he's benefited from that now, but at the time, with the championships going through them all, going down to young England, I remember the first time I got there on the school boys, and this brummy kid walked in, the biggest out of the lot of us, with one suit missing on his head, and I remember just thinking, that nah, he looks all right, uh, and I remember just, I remember just starting to talk to him, and, and that was, he just looked like a scally, he just looked like, looked like one of us, basically, you know, one of the scouts lads, one of, one of, you know, I remember that as if it was yesterday, and I also remember Grant Brotherton. He remember he came to South yes. Africa, and yeah, he was yeah. the same to me. Good fighter. He, he thought I was a traveler because I had a missing tooth and I had kind of black, slick back hair a little bit. Do you know, you know what else it was? He, on, on the address, on the team sheet, it had everyone's address, and you, you were no fix the bowls. I know. I don't think I, I don't think you filled your form. I mean, we all had our own addresses, and you had no fixed abodes. I thought definitely a traveller. Yeah. <laughs> and how true that ended up being. Yeah, yeah no laughs. You keep down, aren't you? You're in, a, you're in Rome, I like you're a traveller. But it, it was great. Remember, I remember it being like an old sports centre in Birmingham when, when we were doing a few sessions, and I remember getting dropped off by my mum and dad to go for the actual trip. And my school were great. Uh, and I always, no, I always say this: like I wasn't, I wasn't like. I wasn't a standout student as such. I'm, you know, I think I'm pretty clever, but I could have done a bit more in school. But I always just wanted to be a pro boxer. I wasn't the same professional to be a boxer. And my mum would bang into us all the time. If you mess around in school, you don't go to the gym. And I remember doing it once, and I went to the gym, and Arbo just looked at me and just said, "Were you going Charlie? Used to call us all cheeky Charlie. Just go and say, did your mum's been on the phone? You've been fucking about school. See you Wednesday, and just sent me home.' And I remember walking home, crying my eyes out, fuming. But I'd been suspended from school that day on on, on the Monday. And couldn't go to the gym. And, and, and I tell my son that now, and I feel terrible, but I've, I've got something over him where he has to get stuck in school because it's important. And if you remember, Matt, the first time we boxed for Young England in South Africa, we needed to raise £250 ourselves or pay for it ourselves or whatever. And my dad's mate phoned me and said, I'll sponsor you, lad. There's £250 for you to go. And like, you know, my mum and dad could have found it. It wasn't a case like you never had it or not on it, but it's just, it's, it's a lot to pay just to go box for England. and I think I probably paid for the kit that we, we wore and whatever else. And the school called me in anyway and said, um, we, 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 we know you need, um, I know it's £500 actually. Yeah, yeah. yeah, my dad's making me, give me a couple of hundred quid. And the school said, there's 250 off us and there's a cheque for 250 off the parents association or the governors or whatever it was at the school. And the school actually paid for me to go on box for England in, in South Africa. And I'll, I'll always be grateful to them for that. Because you know, when, when you're boxing the school boys, they mentioned your school as well, didn't they? It was That's your club right. and your school, and, and I thought that was a nice touch as well. So, with school, you know, there, was, there was never a problem. And boxing for England, getting up to go over there was great. And I laugh about Matthew and his tooth. And the first thing I noticed was his missing tooth. I got back from South Africa. I'd been back for less than a week. Now, Matthew knows Baines is chippy in Liverpool. And I thought I was craving while I was in South Africa. I went straight to Baines is chippy. I had a chip, curry chip arm or a gravy chip arm. I was standing outside. Some lad come over to me and said, Yo, you Paul Smith? I went, Yeah, why? Long story short, he ended up stealing on me and chinning me and knocking me from the tooth out. I, I battled him there and then, but he caught me with that one perfect shot right on my tooth. And I lost my tooth about a week after South Africa, I was only 15. So it's always been a funny story when I see Matt with his tooth and I lost mine about, about six weeks later. I mean, it, it's always seemed to me that the the travel must be, it, it must be a really important kind of part of your uh, of your upbringing when you're a young fighter because generally speaking and we were talking to, to Frankie Gavin about this and he said to us listen I never expected to make it out of Birmingham 
And then I added up the other day all the cities that I've been to around the world through boxing. And he said that it was 42. And almost all of yeah. them came, almost all of them came when I was, you know, younger than 20 or around about then. And yeah. that, that's, that's, that's hugely important, same, isn't they it? They were always in the same team together, Frankie and Stephen. And Stephen seen more of the world than any of us, all of us three put together, me, Stephen, and me, uh, me Liam McCallum, I think. Hey everybody, this is Moto G Pete from the Noko Moto Motorcycle Podcast. Join us every week while we rate, review, ride, philosophize, and generally obsess over every single motorcycle make, model, and style that could possibly exist, plus news and racing. That's the Noko Moto Motorcycle Podcast from Moto One Podcast Network Studios. It must be so valuable that though, just to get out to to other countries um, and, and just see how other people live and see how other people oh, have great. it. Yeah, it's it, it's great, Andy. It's like you know, I never thought I'd get to South Africa. It's like we're, 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 and, and Matt will tell you, we flew to Johannesburg and then we had to get an eighteen-hour coach drive to Durban and, and boxing there, and then we had another coach drive to East London and another one back to Johannesburg, and we ended up in Johannesburg for the last fight where. Um, Mad box that I was a cop 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 yeah, big, big big head on him, big shoulders, good fight. He ended up turning pro, didn't he? And doing not bad as a pro as well. That's the Olympics as well, didn't he? In Athens. Yeah, yeah. And I remember remember that one. Obviously, it was a very good fight. Remember Ricky Eccleston stealing the show over there as well. He was he was such a talented lad and had some good spars with with he when, when he was junior. Young, didn't he, Ricky? Yeah, I, I think so. No, I'm not, I'm not bad mouthing Ricky. I'm, I'm actually paying him a compliment. He was, he was a very good fighter, but I think he was, I think he, I think he peaked a bit too soon. He had a lot of tough sparring in the amateurs with good pros and good top top senior amateurs like like like, like Eddie Roberts and the Vlasmans up here in Liverpool in, in Gemini. Unbelievable schoolboy though. Brilliant schoolboy. Probably like sparred like likes of Carl Wall and all them at that age when they were all seniors and he was still a schoolboy and junior. Uh, very, very good fight. And he was the one we were sort of looking up to on, on, on that squad in South Africa. And just just that, that trip alone was great. And you come home and you have to go down to Crystal Palace every you know, every other weekend. And, well, from Liverpool, that was, a, that was a pain in the arse. It, it was, it, at the time, it was... You know, Saturday, it, it was a good trip. Saturday, was great, yeah. Like, I remember... Here's another one, Andy, what you were asking about, like memories that you gained. Well, Sardinia, I'm getting picked to box for England in Sardinia, and we thought it was going to be lovely in this this place. And Matt, Matt will tell you, we were on like a hotel with an all next to us full of just prostitutes everywhere, and it was rough. As, <laughs> it was rough, wasn't it? And my dad, my granddad, God bless him, and Ari and my dad's brother, three of them, they were staying in the nice side over the other side of Sardinia, and they were getting like trains everywhere. My dad, my dad's like telling me after that, you know, oh, yeah, we had some nice sword fishing that last night. We're sitting in the hotel. Getting bottles of pasta to coffee up there, yeah, just in case you don't make weight, and that you know, just like, a, like another world for them. But, but for us, it was great, and my family and my dad and my granddad, more importantly, got got to see most of the world following us boxing. My, my granddad came to Hungary, came to Sardinia, he went to Denmark to watch our Stephen, and like places like that, you know, even like driving up to like Durham, but like Crystal Palace, I remember it. That was the England squad. There was no GB unless you're in the Olympics. You'd have to get the train down to. Uh, Houston, which was three and a half hours at the time, then across to Victoria, then from Victoria on, on, on the overground to, to Crystal Palace, and then walk with with your bag on your back. Well, basically, had like seven days' worth of kit in what you had to use up in three days because there was that many sessions, and it was great down there. The atmosphere was brilliant, but you know, 
I hated it, and it sort of made me hate London. When I love London now, it's a great place, but at the time, I remember thinking all of my experience of is London. Of London is getting to Crystal Palace on a Friday night, peak, peak hour, and then getting home on a Sunday, and the weekend's gone, and all my mates have been out, and I've got to go back to school tomorrow. And it was sort of like a, um, it's like a, like a one of the few downsides that you have in, in amateur boxing, travelling to them squads. But then the minute you get picked to go somewhere. It was all obviously. It was all worth it because the, the tips that we had were, were brilliant. You know, we got some very good kids as well, and great experience and good laughs with, with, with the lads, which is what you need in in sport as well. Well, that that's a hell of a schlep to get from Liverpool down to Crystal Palace on a Friday night because that that is deepest South London, and and everybody we speak to, you know, doesn't have great things to say about Crystal Palace as a as a destination for England boxing. I mean, it's a different world now, isn't it, with the EIS at Sheffield. Uh, and the yeah. way things are set up there, of course, they have to train hard, and uh, and it's and it's it's very very demanding. But um, it, was probably, and, and Andy, it was probably noise back in the day. It was probably noise back in the day when it first was done, but it was just a dump for the time yeah. we got there. We were like more or less the last ones, with it, you know. Yeah. Was, um, uh, and we we were the last ones as well who, who didn't have funding. The funding only sort of came in in like probably our last two years of being amateur, didn't it? Uh, and I, I was on it, and I know you were on it, and it. Yeah. It only it just come in a little bit too late for us. If we'd have had it longer, we may have stayed a bit a bit amateur a bit longer. And I feel like saying to half these amateurs now, if you don't hold the ball, they only have to go to Sheffield. They've got every every win taken care of, every need taken care of. They've got the best in sports science, the best in everything. So all we got basically was our bottle of Maxim. Remember Maxim? <laughs> you got a, a bottle of Maxim, there's a few boiled eggs for your breakfast, a bit of cereal, a bit of muesli, you know, yes. And all I remember from, from Crystal Palace was the blisters. Everyone just got that many blisters from being yeah. down there and that many sessions a day. You have to cram like a week's worth of work into, in, into Friday night, Saturday day, Saturday night and Sunday morning. And that was it. And sparring was hard. It was always good sparring. And like little, little daft things, what you remember. And I remember telling me lad, and he never believed me. I sparred David Day, only a tech spar, and Audrey Harrison. I remember, remember getting jabs off David Day in the air when I was about 17. And it was only meant to be like a text fan. It was. He wasn't taking a piss or nothing. But he, he caught me with a little jab on the head. I meant to feel it right in my boots. Think, what's going on here? Why, why am I smiling with him? Well, there's that many that many top fighters that have been through them doors. And I think all you have to remember all along is how lucky you are. And, you know, you're working hard and, and you deserve it. But you, you're lucky being in that position because there's, there's hundreds of fighters out there who didn't get that, that top amateur pedigree, which you get. It was an interesting period, wasn't it? Because you, you mentioned the funding, and it was it was Aldi Harrison and his gold medal, which which changed things. If you speak to anybody, they'll they'll tell you that basically with regard to yeah. the funding for the boxing, and and then there was Amir Khan with a silver medal in two thousand and four. Great headlines there. But in the middle of that, who didn't get as much attention because they didn't go to Olympics were, were David Hay and, and Carl Froch, you know, two of the two of the best fighters we produced in the last in, in the last twenty years. So if you if you're rubbing shoulders with people like that, then do you know what it was, Andy? You know, things are, are different now with, with um, you know, I don't know, maybe because GB spend more money with IE, but maybe it's just a bit more transparent. I'm not sure, but back then when they were going to see the Olympic qualifiers, you had all the East European countries basically sticking with each other. I, I remember David A telling me he absolutely battered this fellow Russia and he got beat 12-1. I mean, it hammered him. Do you know what I mean? It wasn't close. He like, could have got sucked. He beat him off and he lost 12-1. So you, it was nearly impossible to qualify. If you got to the Olympics where the world's eyes are on it, you're probably going to get a fair... Jeff 
generally speaking, it's yeah. going to be a fair crack. But at those Olympic qualifiers, it was just absolute scandalous decisions. That's why that's why I turned pro. You know, I went to Budapest for the World Juniors in 2000, and I got absolutely whipped up against this Hungarian. And, I re- and then I remember I won the senior ABAs. I remember thinking, uh, when Rob McCracken, you know, approached me about turning professional and that, and I remember th- thinking, you know, I could wait three years for these Olympics and not even qualify because David Hayden qualified, Carl Fuchs didn't qualify, and, and they were probably good enough to win a, a medal, you know what I mean? Mm. And I just thought, it's a long time to wait. Could he got medals at the Wales, didn't he, Matt? So technically, he probably should have medals at the Olympics. Yeah. If he's got there. But I, but I just thought, now that, that half tipped me, but I think if it, the way things are now, and GP, I think, probably sends, you know, a full team to all these tournaments, and they're constantly on the system with, Aiba, with um, you know, Aiba and that. It's just, um, it just seems to be so much better now that they're doing things, yeah, a lot more money, a lot more money. Uh, I, I look at it as well now, Matt, thinking I'd love to be amateur now. I'd love to go back and do it again now, the way it is, three-minute rounds. No, I'm not. I'm not too fond of the no edge guards in, in in tournament boxing. I think if you have to box the next day and you're being cut the day before, it, it's an uphill battle straight away, and it, it's not fair. I think you should have the edge guards on in big tournaments, but that's the way it's going. And the boxing's going more like the pros. And and me and you, obviously, down to a T. And, and I, I love you. Like I laugh and I, I tell stories to my son, and it's not stories. I'm just telling him about the fights I had, and my brothers will vouch for me, and they they'll say it, and, and the people that were around, and you'll know. And, even yourself, how many stoppages did we have through amateur boxing? You know, I, I used to stop loads all the time, and it was mainly down to body shots or you know, a, a good shot, standard counter. And my dad always said to me, if you ever give anyone a standard counter, first shot, throw big, massive straight right down. You hit them again, the rest going to jump in straight away. And it stuck in the head from when I was like 10, right the way through, so probably <laughs> even in the pros, you know, just that stupid big overhand right that you try and throw when you've hit someone. And it, it's just... I don't see many stoppages now in the amateurs, and I certainly didn't when I was a pro and looking back on the amateur game because it was all sort of more like computer score and more like fencing. Now, I had a couple of, I had a few outclass 15 point rules in at two in the Commonwealth Games, the first two fights, and I don't think I was that, you know, classy or flashy or technically gifted to, to outclass people boxing wise, like 15 points to nil, but I was stopping a lot of people with body shots and, and they hit them with body shots and even like 14, 15 years of age. I stopped my very first fight. I stopped about, I must have stopped at least 20-odd opponents out of, you know, 50-odd wins that I had in, in, in the amateurs easily. And, and the majority of them were down to body shots. So I'd have loved to have been an amateur now. But I remember being an amateur and thinking, I really do want to turn pro, but I really want to go to the Olympics. I was 71 kilos. and I just lost in the Commonwealth Games final to John Pascal. And then my last amateur fight, I boxed Andre Durrell in St. George's Hall. I was, I was winning the fight well after two rounds. He was similar to Craig McEwen, a lad that I beat in the Commonwealth semis in a close fight. He was a very, very good fighter, someone who I admired and I was always around my weight and around my time. And you, you know him well, obviously. And I, I always thought he's very, very similar to Durrell. So boxing the same way, you know, don't press you with the feet, don't lunge in, don't stand off too much, don't let him do what he does. And I was handling well, end of the second round or, or in between the, the second tier, right? Start of the third round, possibly spat at me, spat at me face when we were in a clinch. And I'm thinking, you cheeky bastard. And I just lost my head and swung for him. I hit him low. I lost, uh, it was 1817 or 1816, and I had two public warnings where you lose four points. Um, me and my dad were talking about that about a week ago, and he said, I remember the, the public warnings. Like, and, you know, it, it was just, 
it wasn't suited to me. So I was in that calibre anyway, which was what I'm getting at. And then they just got rid of 71 kilos. And it baffled me. And I remember thinking, why don't you just lose 48 kilo, lose 51 kilo and make a 50 kilo weight? Anyone who's 48 can put a bit of weight on and anyone 51 can lose it. But to get rid of the middle weight, you know, 71 kilo, 11 stone, the, the weight most men in the world probably walk around that. It just it baffled me. I was well too big for sixty nine, and I was I was well too small for seventy five. I couldn't have done it, you know. And and Carl Frotch was was seventy five kilo ten probably a year before me. You know, I wouldn't have lived with him at that at that weight in the amateurs at that time. I remember the Thunder Avenue talking about clubs again. The minute the day you turn eighteen, the year you're eighteen, with the first year you can go in the ABA, they don't allow it. Now you won them the year that I couldn't go in them, and I'd, I'd have been at seventy one, and Matthew Taylor won them. And he'd have been too strong for me at the time. And I remember thinking, you know what, it's a good move by the club because whether I felt I was better than Thierwell or not, he'd have beat me on strength. And it, it, it would have been man versus boy at the time. Whereas the year later, I went in the man, I felt strong enough and I was OK. Um, I remember Pat didn't want me to go in to the ABA uh, that first year. I'd come back, obviously, the World Juniors. Then I got picked yeah. for England, the Black Senior in the Norway Box Cup. Yeah. And... Um, he didn't want me going in the ABA, but, uh, uh, and I wanted to go in at 71, so it killed me doing well to wait for the uh, yeah. worst. And then he, uh, anyway, he let me go in them. And of course, I, I knew I knew I'd win the ABA. Do you know what I mean? Do you know what it was? I thought, as long as I come out of Birmingham, I don't get a stupid decision. I know I knew I could beat, I knew I'd beat Sesse. I knew I'd beat Briggs. I knew I'd beat all the other guys once I come out of the Midlands. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And, um, and, 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 that, and I remember glad, I remember saying to Pat, see, you know, after. Well, once you come out of the middle, I remember saying to you, see, Pat, I told you, because he hadn't seen me box really in probably the best part of the yeah, yeah, All my uh, yeah. have been internationals. Internationals, yeah. Great, he was great, Pat. And, and that's, that's what you have to remember, obviously, when things like that are getting said. He's obviously only looking out for you. And you know through going through the pro game, it's a nice thing to have, isn't it? Someone just looking after you. <laughs> because a lot of people in the pro game aren't just out to look, to look after you. They're looking out for themselves. And in the amateurs, it, it was always great. I remember thinking, you know what? Good decision. I remember watching the finals. I, wa- I watched you in the in the quarters and and, and at Everton Park. I watched the Cecily fight. I watched watched uh, Briggs fight and watched your final. Obviously, and I, and I remember thinking, you know what? Good good decision because I would have lost because I wasn't mature enough. Whereas the next year, I was mature enough. I, I beat Mark Deception in the final, but in the semis, I boxed a thirty-three-year-old fella who, who who had come over. I think I, I'm not sure if he was Hungarian. But he was Bulgarian, but he, but he came over to the UK and he entered the ABAs, and he was just, he wasn't that much, he wasn't really any good, but he was just so strong and rugged. And I think a year earlier, I'd have probably lost him. He's a probably old man. Me also have been a bit too strong for me, and it just, it just prepared you the right way. So you can have that year out, and, and that year out does help you. Uh, is is what is what I'm getting at, you know. And, and you've got to just trust the coaches. Remember, like the, the trips down to the ABAs were brilliant, but it, it's some feeling when when you win it, and that's all I ever wanted to do, like yourself, just. Just win the ABAs. I remember winning the ABAs and went out and had a few drinks at my mates and, and I just couldn't let it sink in. It wouldn't sink in. And I had the Four Nations like 10 days later, I think it was, and ended up boxing John Duddy. I was, I was, I was probably just still made up winning the ABAs. You know, it's all I ever wanted to do. And Commonwealth Games with a bonus. It was always nice, lovely, great, great experience representing the country. But I just wanted to be ABA champion because I wanted to emulate the people under the tons of the people who've won ABA titles and I always remember thinking I want to get one of them silver cups and the year I won them in Barnsley they gave little gold medals out instead of the silver cup <laughs> I'm wounded you know it's quite, it's just thinking there it's, like, it's quite funny when you, you know you think about connections and obviously 
yourself and yourself are very good friends. And then, of course, Frankie Gavin, boxing for Small Heat, him and Stephen, and the Navy yeah. had great friends traveling the world together. But I remember even long before me, I know that, uh, you know, Liverpool, Birmingham, you had, you know, Jimmy Albertina would have sent a lot of the lads he had, Tony Willis and uh, Joey Frost. They yeah. were the same with Paddy Lynch in Birmingham. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, and you know, John Hoyland as well. Not, yeah. not the Rotunda, but he was, you know, a scouter. And yeah, then, of course, yeah. and a good one, yeah. You know what I mean? There's always been that link with Birmingham and Liverpool, actually. Yes, and I always remember you used to talk about Paul Ramsey and, and, and or Denton. You know, he's always talk about him and, and, and the reputation that he had in the pros wasn't really the best because he, he went on, on the other side, didn't he, where he was losing a few and he was just offered a few quid. And I remember you telling me how, how good a fighter he was. And it's sort of only, it, it's that type of thing what makes you appreciate boxers and appreciate fighting where you think, ah, you know what, well, I'll have a look at him. He, he actually is good. He has got it, you know, and you when you're just outside looking in or you're not really clued up on it, you're just watching, thinking, ah, his record's that he, he won't be any good. And it, it, it's it, it's great to have... You have to look a bit deeper. Yeah, you have, and it's great to look into fighters like that from from your city. And Again, you, you mentioned um, David and Stephen Burke, and I'm not using them as an example, but they were, they were top-class amateurs. Uh, and a couple of other top amateurs like, like Ricky Eccleston, like Frankie Gavin, you know, I'm not bad-mouthing any of them, but the career they had in the amateurs eclipsed the career they had in the pros uh, and, and it, 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 it is two separate sports whereas nowadays it's sort of it's sort of merging back into you know very very similar games and similar styles where no head gear three minute rounds like like the pros of all like the Tony Willis as you mentioned and, and Frosty and, and, and all like Kaylin and all, all the likes you know, they, they were basically fighting like pros when they were amateur and then just take the best off and nothing else changed Whereas when we were boxing, it was computer score, and it was sometimes four two-minute rounds. It was even five twos at one point, wasn't it? And yeah. And the seniors, and it, it, it's difficult to make that transition over. And if you've got a pro style, then you might get so far in the amateurs, but you will be a good pro. If, if you've got an amateur style, you'll get great in the amateurs, but you might not adapt to the pro game. And it, it is apples and oranges sometimes. It, it's totally separate sport, but at least now it's getting a bit more like what it probably was in the 70s and 80s and 60s before that. I mean, Mark Moran was a, was a good example as well, wasn't yeah. he? From the yeah, very much, yeah, Moran, classy. But you yeah. won't find a dude who's probably going to struggle as a pro, not very strong, doesn't hit hard, you know what I mean? But, yeah, you, you were always made for the pros. Yeah, just, I, I, I always wanted to be a pro, obviously. I, I, all I wanted to do was, was boxing to, uh, and be a professional turn pro win the ABAs and win a business title, time win a world title, you know, that, 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 that was always the goal, it was always the dream, and... I think the same for Stephen Liam and Callum, you know. But I, I felt for our Stephen because he did have a lot of amateur style, I and mean, he, he had he was on the setup at the same time as Frankie Gavin, where the countries that he was naming. You know, we were talking the other day about like South Korea and Steve the other month. Sorry, South Korea, so come up on Korea. He went, yeah, beat, I beat the South Korea boxer the night. But wow, you, you did. I remember that he boxed all over the world with probably with Frankie all the time on the same teams, and it. it when, you, when you're in that setup, you have to be the best at that setup. When, when you're in the amateur game, you have to be the best amateur. So it will affect your style and you have to adapt. And then when you're playing pro, you've got to forget all that or most of that and adapt to the pros and be a good pro. Not not so fast work rate. You know, move your head a bit more, set your feet a bit more. And it, it, It's hard if, if you're not really clued up on boxing, but if you're clued up on boxing, it, it's still hard because you have to adapt. Don't you? you have to be the best pro you can be then and not the best amateur rather than just be the best fighter. So when it came to turning pro, it, it was an interesting time for, for Liverpool boxing, really, because people will find this amazing now, because I think in Liverpool there's probably, I mean, I reckon there may well be 50 
pro fighters. Uh, the, the scene is absolutely booming and it has been for a while. But when you turned pro, it was in April, well, you made your debut in April 2003. Derry Matthews made his in January the same year. And I remember talking to Derry a while ago now about when he turned pro. And he said to me, he said, look, I can't be absolutely sure about this, but I think when I turned pro, I was the only professional fighter in Liverpool. And that just blew my mind. I thought that can't possibly be right. But but we were talking before before we came on. And as far as you remember, at that point, it was just you and him. I mean, people wouldn't believe that now. It, it possibly was, as I said. I think, I think Tony Dodson had turned pro by then. But I think he was based over in Belfast. I think, he, I think he was, he'd moved away, basically. And at, at the time, it, this, this sounds mad as well, but Matt Trim weren't really doing anything in boxing at the, at the time. You, were, you only had a handful of shows, and, and the man to go at the time was Warren. Um, Nick Hennessy had the class of 2002, so he, he, he was doing well at the time, and they were on BBC, uh, the likes of uh, Froch and, and Megan and all the likes that, that we've already spoken about here, Warren, that, um, but Darren Barker. But, but at, at the time, it was sort of Warren was the man, so... The, the pro game in, in the city in Liverpool wasn't really anything to speak about. I remember at the time, you no know, disrespect to the trainers that are there now, but I remember thinking there's not really many trainers in Liverpool either to go with because there's not many pro boxers. And Manchester was buzzing and it was booming. I remember thinking, you know, I, I, where, where would they be based? Because Albo wanted nothing to do with the pros, otherwise they'd never have left in the thunder. Um, and I remember Andy Oligan saying to me, look, lad, if you ever turn a pro, go with Frank Warren, go with Billy Graham, because I wish I went with Billy Graham from the start of my career. I went with him at the end, and I wish I could be there from day one. And I remember getting Andy to speak to Billy Graham for me, and Warren, and I had a meeting with both, and, and I turned pro, and, and I was happy. And I remember sitting in the meeting, I've, I've heard a rumour of what a couple of lads were getting, and I remember thinking, well, I've got a silver in the Commonwealth, so I want a few quid more, as long as I get that, I'm all right. And as usual, you know, you get you get schmoozed, you get wined and dined, you get looked after when you go down, you have a nice beer, you see all the statues and nars and everything else and the pitches and the memorabilia and <laughs> you walk away thinking you've won the lottery, don't you, when you've just signed a beer for three grand a fight. <laughs> you know, it's just, it, 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 that's how the pro game is, you know, that's how it works. But I remember just, just being excited and wanting to get going and wanting to be, wanting to try and be the best I can. But obviously, you don't know at that stage what a, what a, Sort of without sounding odd, but what nasty, you know, what a horrible game it is, and how hard it is to actually get to just to fight for any title, never mind, you know, British titles or world titles. You know, it's a tough game to get going. It's hard if you're not fighting, you're not in, and you can't go and work because you need to train full time. And it's just, it's it's one of them games. But Liverpool, you know, great, great fighting city, but you never had many, many pros, if any, at that time. And I'd have to have a good looking for that to see. Yo, I'm DK, co-host of the One Star Recruits podcast. My best friend Rip and I host five-star athletes, celebs, business leaders, comedians, and coaches from around the world. Each week, I can guarantee you the show will always have great laughs, catch up on life's in relatable ways, and have a ton of fun. We're recruiting you. We are the One Stars, which means we can ask the questions that no other podcast asks to guests like Joey Chestnut, Evander Holyfield, Bobby Hurley, Jenny Finch, Ryan Lochte, Montel Jordan, New guests every week, compelling interviews that you want to hear. Check us out wherever you get podcasts, One Star Recruits. Because I guess you 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 would have known um, 
not just with your brothers, but you know, you were breaking new ground really for for people who were to to, to follow in your gym because obviously Bell, you came behind you about four or five years after you turned professional. There's a whole load of good fighters turn over, isn't there? Like Stephen would be one, Joe Selkirk would be another, Bellew would be another, David Price at the Olympics would be another. Uh, Joe McNally turned pro for a bit. He was a good amateur too, wasn't he? And and there was yep. Tom Stalker on the GB setup was was winning medals. And all of a thing, all of a sudden, things were just starting to starting to roll. And then and then the echo arrived, and and that 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 must have been big for Liverpool boxing too, because the first I looked it up today, the first. The first three um, shows on there were all British super middleweight title fights. It was Quigley Dodson, then you and Quigley, then you and Dodson, um, and then you and DeGale, I think. Uh, and a, a bill, yeah. I think, that Matt fought on too. So the echo yeah, all of a yeah. sudden, Liverpool had this, this focal point for boxing. So a lot happened in a pretty short period of time. Yeah, it did. Like my, my debut was in the MEN, uh, and the majority of the amateur fights that I had, the pro fights, my last two amateur fights, my last, sorry, two of my last three amateur fights were at the MEM, Commonwealth Games, semi in the final, then after that was St. George's over, then my, my debut was in, in the MEM, and, and it was great to know, it was on a hat and show, I sold about 350 tickets, uh, and a lot of them were ringside, because Ricky was top of the bill, and he still loved fighting on Ricky's shows, because you made a few quid more on your commission, but obviously, you're on them big events, and that's what you want to be on, and Obviously, you know, it's tough for lads when they first turn pro when they're on small old shows and there's no telly. But, you know, for me, if, if I turn pro, I want to be on them big shows. You know, I, I wouldn't mind to be in a live float every time, getting on just before the main event. But it, it doesn't work that way. You're on at half six, there's about 50 people in the arena. All your lot are still queuing up to get in. You know, it, it, they don't even open the doors in time. But it, it, it is what it is and you've got to just get on with it. Now, no one could take that away from you. You box on them big shows. You were there. You know, you're in that arena. You watched the main event later on, and you went home. You won. You know, went out with a few drinks or had a, 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 a cup of tea and went home with, with your miss. Whatever you did, but you were there and you've done it. And you want to be part of them big, massive shows and them massive bills. So when Liverpool gets its own arena, it's hang on. We don't have to go to Manchester now. They can come here. The fights can come here, and the big names can come here, and I can be on them undercards. But at the time when the arena was there. You know, I, I knew I was there about and ready to fight for the British title. I, I, I watched the first fight from like two rows back with Quigley and Dodson. I remember thinking, I, I know I'm going to fight the winner. And I, I couldn't wait. And I, I grew up, you know, watching um, Tony Dodson for a long time. Oh, he, he's a friend. So we've had two good fights and I've sparred him a lot by then. But I remember going back even further, getting off the bus from school when I was about 14 before I even went to South Africa and met Matt. And I was, I was boxing. I'd get off the bus and I'd go into the thunder and Kenny Willis was a trainer at the time, Tony's brother, and it'd be Gary Lockett. He was based at Liverpool. He was training on the pads. I'd never seen anyone hit as hard in the flesh as, as Lockett as he used to belt them pads. He was a big, massive, ferocious puncher at the time. I remember looking at him. Uh, Paul Baines, uh, David Burke, a few other good fighters. Gary Lard used to pop in now and then, I think. Um, Neri used to train by himself, but he was always popping. Uh, and I'd be watching all these fights. Matthew Ellis, the heavyweight as well. I'd be watching all these. They're all based in Liverpool. But who, who was that one? Michael Gomez knocked out Gary Thornhill. Gary Thornhill, yeah, yeah. Gary Thornhill was 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 a decent fighter as well. He he, he won a British title. He was more. He he was training kids at the Solly recently as well. I I, I believe, and he was just uh, the Tornado. That was his nickname. He was just good, very good work rate. And 
I, I remember watching all these fighters like when I was younger, and Tony Dodson was still amateur, but he was training in there with them all as pros. And I remember when he fought, he threw it back in my face, and he said, uh, you know, I remember Paul used to put my gloves on and tie my gloves for me. I remember, I remember fuming, thinking, you cheeky bastard. <laughs> I'd tie anyone's gloves for them. You know, I've had my gloves tied. That's better fighting than me. I wouldn't say, oh, you used to tie my gloves. But I remember he just, he wound me up completely when he said it. And that That's what it was. I used to get off the bus after school and just be obsessed with boxing. I'd run in and watch the pros saying, go on, have a quick sandwich, get changed, get the kit on and go back to the same gym once the pros are gone and start my sessions with the amateurs. And The arena was, was something that, you know, we needed. Liverpool as a fight city needed. And, and that, that can... That can take a bit of credit for developing the fighters from Liverpool as well, because all of a sudden you've got your own shows to go, and you want to top the bill at the Echoerida. Um, back to Callum with, with Fowler, when I said the first fight that he had was in um, Queen's Drive Sports Centre, and it was packed, you couldn't, couldn't get in, you couldn't get a seat, everyone was standing, everyone was screaming. Brilliant atmosphere, but the second fight was in the Echo Arena on an amateur show. And, um, I think it was the UK Championships, I think Callum was representing GP, Fowler, England, if I'm not mistaken. And it was the final. And I watched it on television because I was presenting something at a, a pigeon racing show down in the Midlands. I remember watching it on the telly and um, watching the performance. Great performance. But I thought, that's great because it's similar to what we had in Commonwealth. The amateurs are getting experience to, to fight at these arenas that they're going to be hopefully topping bills on as pros when, when they're older. And both of them ended up doing it foul and, and Callum. So it's, it's something that you... You know, you need a, a good place to fight. I've boxed in Birmingham at, at the NEC and the NIA, and you know, you've got top stadiums. Manchester's got the arena, the or the Manchester Arena. Liverpool had nothing. The most we had was Everton Park or the Olympia, which was about, I think, about 1,200 seats, if I'm not mistaken, and as lovely a, a, a place as it, as it was in the past. You know, it's old and it's fallen apart, a bit cold in there. And, it's a great little atmosphere when when it's going in there, but you wanted to fight in, in the arena. So to get the chance to to the first fight you ever had in there was, was to top the bill in there against um against Quigley for the title, you know, challenging for the title. It, it was something else. It was something you know, that's what dreams are made of. It was stuff dreams are made of that. I think it's really important to to have that kind of thing to aim for, to to shoot for that the city you're from, they they've got that kind of arena where you can look at it and think, that's where I want to be one day. I want to sell that place out one day. I want that to be I want that to be me, whether you're in Liverpool, whether it's the Metro in Newcastle, uh it's the O two in London obviously, which is a slightly bigger capacity than MEN in, in Manchester. And and Matt, it's not like you didn't top shows in Birmingham because you did, but did you look at those kind of homes that, that Liverpool fighters had that, that Hatton had in Manchester with the local support and did it did it make you a bit jealous almost? But I know you were kind of an adopted son in, in some different places, but you never really had that. No, and but but I don't think anyone really did in Birmingham. Just Birmingham's a mad place. I don't know, it just never seemed to have that strength in depth. Like I say, you'd get a good in the Brumpacracken was a really good fighter. Uh, you know, Fox Greenland won a silver medal in the World Cup. Uh, in Dublin, you know, I think he lost to a good Cuba but Hernandez who won the, the Olympics the year after. You know, I came along then, I don't know, whatever, 10 years after. Behind me, Frankie Gavin, probably maybe the best amateur outside of Amerikan that Britain's ever had, you know, mm. uh, but never really had like a group together, amateur or pro, you know, even in, in, the, in the pros. And I was training in Manchester, out in America. You know, Frankie Gavin turned pro, was training in Manchester. was never really... You know, and it's quite ironic because Rob McCracken is probably been one of the most successful coaches as a professional, and of course, on the GB from Birmingham. 
where he, he based himself down in London at the Lennox Lewis Academy and was training yeah. the guys down there. So it's, it's, it's a mad one, really. Yeah, I suppose you think, God, he would love to have been around where there were some other guys with us in Birmingham. We could have been based in Birmingham, training at home, putting on shows regularly. I mean, John Pegg had a good little run there with Soggy and Sam Eggington. That's probably the best he's been. And, of course, Matt Trude, you know, really got behind them. But, I mean, even going back in the day when Frank Warren started out, he, he did a couple of his first big promotions he did in association with Paddy Lynch in Birmingham. I think his first British title fight was a guy called Steve Early, who's actually in Coventry. But I think he put the show on against, um, I think it was Clinton McKenzie or one of the one of the not June, one of June McKenzie's brothers with a British title. And Frank put that show on, I think, in, in Birmingham with Paddy Lynch. And of course, he, he, then he did the first big world title fight, I think, was um, Colin Jones against Don Curry at the NEC. Again, Frank Warren in association with Paddy Lynch. So, there was Birmingham. The NEC was a big venue. You know, Nigel Ben fought Chris Eubank there the first time. But in terms of getting a flock, a good group together, which could pack out a card and keep the gym going, it was, I don't know, kind of missed the boat with that. You know, we talked about Joey Frost and Tony Willis and these guys moving down to Birmingham and training with Paddy Lynch. And you would have had Pat Cowdell and Custis the True and these guys. But that was, you're kind of talking the late 80s, really, with them. And, you know, there was, there was probably a buzz there then. But when, Rob McCracken came along, then 10 years later, or whatever it was, I came along, and Frankie, we, we, were, we were isolated, really. We were individuals. We didn't have uh, enough of a team around as there wasn't. And even and the Lynches then, they'd, they'd kind of been and gone. They, they still loved the boxing, but they weren't, they weren't immersed in it. They weren't eating, sleeping, breathing it. When you're, it's your be-all and end-all, you want to be amongst people where you've got that buzz. And in Manchester, in Billy Graham's gym, we had that buzz, so... We, you know, we had to travel out of town for it. So, yeah, a little bit envious that we didn't get those that sort of hot space, that kind of glory years in Birmingham where, you know, every, we could have all just condensed the individuals and all come along together at the same time. We could have had, like, a bit of a golden era. Again, what you're saying, Matt, about you've got to, like, live, breathe, live, sleep and breathe it. I remember being, well, 11, 12, not like 90, 93, 94, 95, Liverpool. I don't know whether it'd be one bid or whether someone from Liverpool or Merseyside or, or, or England box, but Liverpool stays the multi-nations anyway. I remember like I remember Paulie Malinad, he said he boxed there. Um, a, few, a few others were boxing in that tournament. We had some top, top uh, amateur fighters from all over the world all the time. And the beauty of it was like the countries would use the Rotunda as the gym. So about six countries used our gym. A few others used the Solly. A few others used the Golden Globes or, or clubs around the city. And you'd be it. You'd be able to go in and sneak in the back door and watch the Ukrainians train or the Russians train and like being around. And then we, we all got free tickets to go to the shows, obviously, the multinations of the day or of the night in St. George's Hall. Lovely old building, but you'd watch some top quality boxing and you know, little daft things like being around that and getting to experience that. You're never going to really experience a multinational tournament until you box them up. And, and to, to get to experience that type of thing and see it, it just does make you want to emulate that and, and, and do that. So, the arena, back to what we said about the arena, that will have helped fighters who are coming through now when that opened in 2009 or 2008. 2009, they're watching fighters from then when they were going to their shows as young kids. You mentioned Tom Stalker before, and it's a great story with Tom. He was washing the dishes in the Adelphia, I believe. I believe that was his job, getting to a bit of bother. And he watched our Stephen in the Commonwealth Games in 2006 in Delhi. He watched Stephen win a gold there. 
and went to the boxing club that week and wanted to be a boxer because of our Stephen and he won goals himself in 2010 with Callum on the same team. Not Delhi, sorry, Melbourne. And then they went to Delhi in 2010 and won a gold. Uh, and that's like, if that's not changing your life and ours and turning things around and boxing saving people, then then I, I don't know what is. But to watch a show and watch your local lad win a gold and think, I'm going to try that. And I believe Joshua did the same. And Joshua, he must be Olympics, he thought, I want to do that. And he won the next ones. And that's like, that, that's what happened. So being around and having access to, to boxing, whether it be to go and watch a show or to walk in the gym and watch an old pro train or watch a good amateur train, it, it does. It gives you the bug. It gives you the, the the desire to want to do it, and you know you will want to go and emulate them or achieve what they've achieved. Oh, 100 percent. We we were talking to Carl Frampton recently, and and the 2001 World Championships was in Belfast, and and he remembers really clearly yeah. going and watching it, and watching Frotch and, and watching David Hay, and then in 2008, of course, in Liverpool as well, you had the European Championships, didn't you, at Greenbank, and and um, Lomachenko was there, for example. Loads of yeah. loads of really good fighters doing their thing so we won't keep you for too much longer but you've mentioned them of course and, and everybody's well aware of the, the 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 four smith brothers when you won your british title um at the echo uh, and you went on to challenge for world titles of course as well but what we all know about the, the the smith quartet is that you've all won british titles did you think that the other three would go on and do that how confident were you that that could happen Always massively, massively confident. I think whatever I did in boxing, I, I, you know, I'm not just saying it, I'm not trying to play the violin. Whatever that, whatever I did in boxing, I knew they'd better. Uh, we always laugh and say who's the best, or people say who's the best out of you. The best should be the youngest. The best should be the one who's watched everyone else do it and come through. And if it's not, it's probably not working. And he, Callum's a, a, a talented fighter. Liam's very, very good fighter. Stephen's the same, very good fighter. But for me, you know, when I won that British title in, in 2009, they won that British title, and that, I know that's what they felt. When Callum won his world title in Saudi, we all won that world title. When Liam won his world title in Manchester, we all won that world title. When Stephen knocked Gary Buckham's out and won his British title back, the second one that he won, we won that British title. You know, it, we, we are, that, that, that's what we're like. We're very close. We're, we're a family. You know, We win together, we lose together. It's not nice losing, but when we do it, it happens, and it, it, it's together. Uh, and when we win, we win together. You know, Matt will tell you, having a, having a brother who's boxed, you know, the shame is when I won a world title. Remember someone saying once, you know, about, about like, do you feel bad that your brother's won a world title? You never. I remember just thinking, you know, what, what, what planet are you on? You know, I, my, my brother's just won a world title, mate. I, I feel like I'm world champion. There's fellows who don't box, whose brothers win world titles, and they, you look at them and you swore they won it. And, and that's what families and brothers and, and people who are close to each other should be. You know, you win, they win, and, and vice versa. And, I, I did think he'd do it, yeah. I, I certainly did, you know, especially watching Stephen do what he did in the amateurs and then watch, watching Liam knocking kids out in the amateurs and coming through and always having that pro style. I was really excited about seeing Liam. And then Callum, you know, the, the quiet fellow, once he got to grips with his body and his size and the, and the build and the frame that he's got, there was never going to be any, any stopping him. You know, he, he's lived and breathed boxing. Matt, I'm telling you about one of the best nights we've probably all had together. As as a gym, as a group of mates, as whatever else in professional boxing, it's when we were up in Edinburgh watching Mike Gomez against Alex Arthur, and I know I know Matt knew Alex Arthur at the time, but we never. And he's a lovely lad. We get on with him well now. Consider him a friend now. But at the time, Gomez was our friend. I was sparring with Gomez for it as well, just jabbing and getting used to a jab. And we went up there to to, to Edinburgh to watch him fight. And our Callum was in the dressing room, and Callum was sitting in the car by himself. He was 13 years of age. 
you know, and then Hatton against Costa Zou, Callum was in the dressing room for that. And my the whole point what I'm getting to is what we were talking before, you know, being around that environment as well. Whether you're experiencing it or whether you're doing it or not, you gain an experience and being around them things you're not going taking it all in. Exactly. So the youngest should be the best in my opinion. He's had long. I tell you one thing, I've got to say though, I remember and I and I've said this from what you I thought yeah. I, don't, I don't know how Paul's old man holds the nerves. I mean, I remember when, when Seamus was boxing a schoolboy club bout, I'd be a nervous wreck. I remember <laughs> I remember when he won his schoolboy title. He was like he won it eleven ten, I think he was in the computer score. And I remember Paul's old man saying, Hey Matt, you 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 were the performance of the day. You know, <laughs> the first I was like a nervous wreck. I was a lunatic when Seamus used to box and it was only a schoolboy bout, do you know what I mean? Yeah. That's what Stephen does, you know, man. Used to do it. Stephen does that. Stephen, Stephen throws more punches than us. So if you ever watch the fights and and people listening can go back and look, but watch Callum's fights, Liam's fights, my fights. Stephen isn't sitting with the others. Stephen's sitting by himself, and he always sits beside that's not on camera because he fights with us and he throws that many shots. He jumps up and down. He doesn't stop, and he just says, "I'm not sitting by, I'm not sitting on camera. I'm getting around that side because everyone's going to be pointing at me." The way I was when when going for box against that, I'd sit in the front row and not many people know, but I had five hundred quid on Gomez. That's why I was like a madman in that fight. And every time it's on, I get all kinds of tweets and messages. You looked happy there when Gomez won, but we all had bets on and we all had money. It was a great trip. But being around things like that, you know, you're gonna absorb it. And Callum has, has done a lot of that. So, you know, for, for me, the, the three of them, yeah, I, I was never worried that. It's easy saying it now, but I was never worried that they'd be a success or they'd be more successful than me or they'd be as successful or they'd achieve their goals and their dreams, which, which they have done. Well, what you, what you were saying there chimes in um, exactly really with quite a lot that I've read about the idea of talent and the nurturing of it and, and the conditions you need. And, and, and that is very much a theory that if you have older brothers, older siblings, and you go down the same path as them, then then you should be better than them because... You've got somebody who's who's more proficient and more practiced to 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 practice against and and learn from. I do wonder though, and you touched on it there. That, that there are there have been loads of highs with 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 the four of you, loads of highs for you watching the other three as well. But there are always lows too. And and do you? I mean, it must be difficult. It must be hard. I mean, Stephen had a had a bad knockout, didn't he? Um, he's had two tough ones for world titles. People look at Callum and probably think, oh, well, you know. He's never lost. It's been it's that that must probably quite an easy watch. But but I mean, we talked about GB earlier on, and he got robbed blind in an Olympic qualifier, which must have been terrible yeah. to watch for you. I mean, there's 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 it's hard, is what I'm I'm driving at. Yeah, I remember Callum going to a multi nations qualifier for, for the Olympic qualifier for the Olympics multi nations in in Turkey, and I think. You know, I don't want to tell lies, but I'm sure that Turkey didn't have anyone qualified and he ended up with five or six in that games from that tournament qualified for the Olympics. And Callum boxed the Turk and lost and got robbed blind. I remember Stephen boxing against the French lad, um, a, a good fighter as well. And Terry Edwards took the head guard off him at the end of the first round because it was a good, good first round. Stephen probably nicked it, probably won it. And he sat down, he was 9-0 or 9-1 down. And Terry Edwards just shook his head, just took the head guard off. You got another qualifier in a few in a few weeks, we'll go to that one. Um you know, Steve, Stephen, I thought he'd be nailed on to go to the Olympics. He just had a bit of bad luck, uh, and you get robbed and you get these decisions. And trying to talk that to someone who doesn't really get the game and understand boxing, they're going to just eat you, you, you crying sour grapes. And, and but it's, it, it, it is that bad the game, and, and I see it. 
I see it. I remember losing to Abraham and, and doing an interview with after. I don't remember much of what I was saying at the time, but I've watched it back and, and I remember, you know, I remember feeling that way. And this happens in boxing at every level. I, I, from schoolboy boxing, as Matt has just been talking about with Dave Sheamus, to, to senior multi-nation internationals, to world title fights on the top, top level. And it, it happens. And it's, it's probably never going to be eradicated in boxing. It's just one of them things that we have to all just, unfortunately, wipe our mouth, get on with it and accept. But, like, like, with, with with the boxing, with with the bad points and the low points, we've had so many highs, but we have had the lows as well. You know, I, I've had a few, I've had a few losses. Stephen has. You know, I remember Stephen with Selby. I had to go and fight after this, and I remember I remember snapping at the cameraman because he was like zooming in on me. I remember tin arm like swinging my foot on my arm to like get him out. No, my brothers had just been knocked out, and it was a shock to us. We knew how good Selby was. We knew he was talented, but we knew Stephen had more than enough to beat him. And Stephen, the way he was beforehand, was telling us, I don't feel good, I don't feel good. We were panicking. And I knew Stephen went out and set too fast a pace, hoping to try and stop him early and get him out of there quick because he, he just didn't feel right on the night. I don't know what it was. It's no excuse for himself. He's a great fighter, quality fighter, and, and, and went on to the world title and showed what he could do. You, was, you were on straight after. Yeah. I was saying the dangers with Stephen. Yeah. I remember thinking, fuck, you know, it's a tough old game. Yeah, I, I remember just thinking with Samuels, I was just looking at him, I was just trying to take every bit of anger out on him. I remember just thinking, as soon as I land him, I'll jump all over in the first round, get back to that season. Uh, 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 and it happened. So, you know, looking back, hindsight, would I do it again? If I'm in that frame of mind when I was in then, probably, yeah. But now, thinking back with a step back, I think, nah, I shouldn't have fought. Shouldn't have got in, I probably wouldn't have got in. But, you know, that, we are close, it's not an act. Everyone says, it's like, you know, uh, we, we, we talk every day, we speak to each other every day, all four of us, you know, we love a FaceTime or a, or a talk. And that's just how we are with brothers. You know yourself, but you're like Seamus and what you've been around us enough to know. So when I've seen that with Stephen, you know, when I've seen Liam losing with, to, to Canelo, I remember thinking, you know, that, that that's my brother. How, how tough was he? You know, and I was proud of him. I thought you just lasted nine rounds there with, with, with one of the best in, in, in the world. And, and some of the shots that I've seen landing from the corner, I remember wincing myself, thinking, fuck me, you can hit. You know, the power in them and, and the speed in them. But, but Liam, Liam did us proud. And as obsessing as eight he was, it sort of raised his stock, I, I, I thought. I thought it, it yeah. elevated them, especially with the Mexicans. And then the next trip we have back in Las Vegas, watching Stephen fight for it. Against um, against Vargas, Liam's getting stopped by Mexicans and Julio Cesar Chavez is coming over. And I'm getting my phone off to get a picture with him because he knocked Andy Olgan out. And, I, and I, I've, I've known of him since before I knew about any other fighters. And he, he comes over to our Liam and asks Liam for the picture. I, I remember being in Vegas just after the fight with uh, on the Sunday with Liam because I was over there. I flew from Dallas to Vegas to do the deal uh, to sign the contract with Michael Condon and Tuck Frank. Yeah. And I met all the lads, Liam and um, Declan O'Rourke, all, all the all the lads that had, had all gone to Vegas hadn't made the book Vegas, yeah. didn't they? And so, and I remember seeing Liam there, and he was, you know, we could see he was good in that. And, and obviously, I'm retired at this point. I was like, Liam, trust me, I know you're good because you got beat, but I'm telling you, your stock has risen in the field. Yeah. And it did, it definitely did. And yeah. of course, a lot of people would know as well that he didn't spar for four weeks before that fight. Was exactly. And I, I remember him getting caught. I remember thinking, shit, because we knew, we knew the money that was involved in the fight and we knew the opportunity that, that was there. And listen, anyone will tell you, you know this, uh, and people listening might think, no, but you know for the fact that Liam went in that fight thinking he could win and knowing he could win and wanting to win. And, and it was an idea what happened in the spa where he got caught. And, and, and that's just one of them things. And 
Liam Stafford, you know what, probably just delayed the inevitable. They probably lost on points, but it, it, it's just one of them things that I couldn't get going because of Spar and whatever. No excuses, that, that's just how it is. But, but Liam's a proud lad, and, and when you're saying that to Liam, there's a, you know yourself with boxing, there's a lot of people that you just take with a pinch of salt, and there's a few people that you listen to and think, well, if you've said it, you wouldn't talk bollocks. So, you know what, it must be like, he's probably thinking that when you're telling him that, you know, and obviously it was true, and you know, he, he gained a lot from, from defeating that fight, but as a family, we were all obviously still distraught. And you're saying about flying from, from Dallas to Vegas, because I, I did that. I flew back to Vegas, said to that to be missus and kids, put them on the plane, and then I flew to Toronto, and then from Toronto down to Trinidad, and then Trinidad over to Suriname to go fishing for two weeks on the Amazon with ITV. <laughs> <laughs> I remember it was one of the worst trips in my life traveling. Like, but, but great when I got there. But yeah, that that weekend, so many of through Vegas because it was originally meant to be scheduled in Vegas. So, my mum, my dad, all my family, ourselves, we all flew Vegas. And the morning of that fight was our Paul's birthday, September seventeenth. So, we I had to like wake up with him and his ma, with his sisters and his brother, and then fly straight away that morning, the morning of the fight to. to um, Dallas over to the, to, the, to the Cowboys Stadium and again just just you know back to Liverpool and to sort of bring it back full circle being being four scallies who walks into the tundra to then watching like the likes of Liam top the biller Dallas Cowboys Stadium even top the bill in Connecticut or, or, or joint coming event in, in in Connecticut for his world title a fourth Andre Ward over in the states top in the bill and then Callum's fought in Madison Garden as chief support to, to Joshua. Again, defending as well. You know, it's 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 stuff that we never ever and probably imagined in our wildest dreams. You know, it, and, and I said it's, it's, it's happened. Then it's happened. Didn't I? Did you have yeah. to go back to appreciate how far we all came to enjoy it? You know, to really soak it up. Like you've got to take stuff back to when we were kids, dreaming and talking about it, and then to look back and think how far we actually all went. Way surpassed what we ever thought we could. Really, yeah. we're honest. And then, yeah, yeah. Oh, what a journey, man! And you know yourself. You, you, I, I always say this to people: you, you can't believe your own bullshit. You can't believe your own hype. And the minute fighters do it, you, you, you lose and you see them. And I've never ever sort of accepted things like I won a British title twice. And that's and me when I turned pro. That would have done me. You know, that 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 would have been like the ice on a long tail belt. And I think, wow. But the minute you think I won the British title. It's not enough. You want to go one further, one further, one further. You set new goals. Yeah, you've got to set new goals straight away. You can't, you can't, what, what, you know, there's an old saying, well, you can't rest on your levels. You can't accept what you've got there. And then you've got to always want more because the minute you accept and the minute you rest on your levels, you're done. And as a fighter, you can't do that. So, Callum now, WBA champion, magazine champion, number one in the division, is, is he happy? Is he done? No, no way. You know, he wants to go further. Liam's won the world title, WBO, like the way champion, super welterweight champion. Does he want a left best day? No, he wants it again. You know, and it, it's, it's fighters, but, but you're in your mentality, what, what you have to do that. Your brothers are still boxing, you're retired, and you're, you're, you're 100% right. While you're still boxing, it's on to the next thing, on to the next yeah. thing. A new goal, set a new goal, keep going. But then once it's all done, and we're retired now, you have to then look back and go, uh, it was unbelievable. I've just felt I've just felt a bit of it just then when I was telling you about that. You know, the, the four of us have all fought and, and headlined in the states, uh, and that 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 to us growing up watching Rocky films and looking shite out of each other in the living room with a tea towel around our hands and one glove on each. You know what I mean? It, it, 
it, it, it, it's hard to sort of comprehend and to realise. Hang on, no, we, we actually we actually did it, but they're still fighting, so it's not something we can actually talk about still. We've got to just let them keep going, let them keep winning, hopefully. Me and you uh, talk about it instead. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. But retiring, stepping back, as you said, I remember we've had some good conversations since retiring, both of us, and you know, you, you will realise, you know what, I, I, had, I had a good career, and what a life boxing does give all of us, yourself, myself, your brothers, and you know, it, it's it, it's some sport in it. As I say, it, it can be horrible, it can be full of rats and dogs, but it's got its good, uh, and, and the good always outweighs the bad for me in boxing. Paul, Andy's trying to get some dirt on me every week, so before he goes, I'm going to just tell this story. Years ago, me and Paul were boxing <laughs> in Eager in Hungary. It was during the summer, and we went over there. Good team. Anyway, we, under the Sunday was the final. No, I was in the final. I won the gold medal, so... It was a heat wave, and the box was really early. I think we were wrapped up by about one o'clock. We'd, we'd box in the morning. So, anyway, there's, there's an eight-man team, all 18-year-old lads, and we've all just gone out on the lash. Now, By the play. way, this is the first time I was team captain, and I got my ass kicked for it. <laughs> so, go on, carry on. And I didn't even drink. I, I was like, <laughs> I'll choose all drinks, because I was boxing, dedicated, disciplined, didn't even drink. So, Sage, I didn't even want to drink. I said, I don't like the taste of alcohol, so I was drinking alpha pups to start with. Anyway, the next thing I know, we're in this nightclub and I'm drinking these tequila sunrise cocktails. I'm drinking them like they're water. Anyway, oh, we're dancing, we're having fun, and I don't remember anything after that, like nothing. And then the next thing I remember, the next thing I know, or that I'm, the, the next thing that's conscious in my memory, is I'm waking up, I still feel really pissed. And Femi Fien Tolu, who's my roommate, had this big cheesy smile on his face, <laughs> laughing, shaking his head, going, fucking hell, Matthew, you last night. And I was like, what? He said, don't you remember the fight? And I was like, what the fight? What are you on about? And I'm still pissed out my brains. He goes, look in the mirror. So I've gone over to the mirror, and my lip was the biggest lip you've ever seen in your life. And my <laughs> mouth was black and blue and cut the ribbons right to the back of my mouth, to where my tonsils were, so, and I've got cuts and scratches all down my arm. And I'm thinking, what the fuck? He said, oh, he goes, mate, he goes, we nearly got killed. He said, you, you, you just took all your clothes off in the nightclub or Terry did. And then you wouldn't put them back on. No, no, not, not, not Terry. Not Terry. I remember standing there. I was having a conversation. I turned to me left and here's you on a podium with your, with your shorts by your ankles. And, and that was it. And that, that ended up being your party piece. The dorm would come. One of them's Jesus, you from behind. Carried you out. And then we've all ran outside. And then Craig Lyon. Who, who was the funniest? He's standing there. Now he was—he was a light flyweight, great fighter. Dad still got the record for ABA, ABA championships. Really good fighter from Wigan, and he was standing there. And it's all sort of calmed down. We'd, we'd sort of spoke to the dorm and said, "Look, I'll leave it at that." And Craig's got a glass of whiskey in his hand and just said, "I fucking ate dorm and they had threw the glass over to them, and that was it." They all reached behind, got these bats out, and started chasing us. And we're trying to drag you away. <laughs> I wanted, I wanted to go back and fight the world. <laughs> but, but, the, but the best thing was, the next morning anyway, the police were in the hotel. Lovely. What had happened was, I'd let, I'd had, I had a fun bag on with my money and I'd, let, I'd lost it. So when they dropped me back to the room, and uh, they'd all got Paul and a few of the lads had gone back to try and find my, uh, my fun bag thing. So what are you going to tell it for? Well, the... You yeah. mean... Yeah, you there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was just, it was just, 
I remember thinking, no, please don't. So I'm trying to get you away. All I remember is in the airport, in, in, in the departure lounge, waiting, oh, and you're sitting hilarious. there sweating in the horrors, and we're telling you what you said. And I, I think I've seen <laughs> your whole fist go inside your mouth, the size uh-huh. of it, full of blood, thinking, oh, my God, no. <laughs> and it was funny because I'd, nev- I'd never been as embarrassed in my life. I was full of the horrors. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I was cringing to death. They would say, Mac, you said this, and then you said that, and, you were doing this. and I just wanted to die. And then there was uh, the, uh, the the Irish team had been over there all weekend. Yeah. So I got really friendly with um, a couple of guys saying, you know, my mum's from Tipperary, but that's what's coming. And, and Paul knew the one guy, Paddy Hoyland, the coach, well, and Patrick Hoyland, yeah. well, because Steve yes. was back. Steve, Steve Paul was Hoyland. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, we, you know, we were really, really friendly. We were having the crack. We were shaking. Martin well, Lindsay and a few others, weren't he? Yeah, good. great lads, great team. We got on well with them. And, like, uh, I remember seeing Pat Hoyland. The Pat was Pat was always, you know, God rest him. He said no, but he'd always have the crack with him, giving a bit of the gangster one a bit. And anyway, so I thought, I'll put, uh, Paddy won't judge me. He'll, he, he'll laugh it up. And I'm going, fucking hell, sorry about that, Paddy, last night. And he looked shook. He goes, Matt, he goes, listen, if that's what fucking drink does, Joe, so you should never ever drink again. And I was like, <laughs> if, if only you listen, then. Yeah, I was yeah, just going to say. I was just going to say, it was a taste of things to come. It was, a, it really was. Well, that that that's the perfect place, the perfect place to to leave it. But there's so many more things we could have talked about. So much more we could have got into. So we'll 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 get you back for this, Paul, because you you are the yeah, first definitely. and only person so far who has managed. I don't know what kind of power you have over Macklin. Just some kind of Jedi mind trick because he's volunteered a story about himself there, and he's never done yeah. that before. He's never done that before. <laughs> Um, so we have. Comfortable, to... exactly. I've, got, I've got plenty, though. Obviously, I've got plenty. <laughs> well, I've got one from London about five years ago. So oh, I've, got a, I've got a few good ones. Okay, brilliant. That is music to my ears. That is music to my ears. Okay, well, thanks very much for joining us. This has been great fun. Right, thanks for having um, me. Appreciate it. Take care. You too. You too. And thanks for listening, everybody. Um, we hope you're enjoying these. Uh, we're bringing you two a week at the moment, and we'll just continue to do that. We'll continue to do that because it's 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 great fun. We've we've loved doing this in the in the year or so since we started it, uh, and it's not going anywhere anytime soon. So stay well, stay safe, everybody, and we'll be back soon. Down by the river, don't you know Where a cement bag Just drooping on down Oh, that cement is just It's there for the way to dare Five will get you ten old Mackies back in town Sports Social Podcast Network Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.